the night that he came home. That night, he tore a bloody rampage through the world of cinema, and suddenly, trick-or-treating was lethal again. His name was Michael Myers, and the night was Halloween. Welcome to Filmstrip and our Halloween retrospective series. Here to protect you from the clutches of Michael Myers or the Silver Shamrock Corporation are Brian. More fancy talk. And Jay. We are talking about evil on two legs. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the Halloween films. It is time to find out. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. This is our review of Rob Zombie's Halloween, starring Malcolm McDowell, Sherry Moon Zombie, Daig Ferk, Tyler Maine, and Scout Taylor Compton. Obviously directed by Rob Zombie, released in 2007 on a budget of $15 million, grossed over $80 million at the box office. One of the most profitable, actually the most profitable of the sequel, when it all uh, comes down. So I, before we get into the movie here, though, you know, we kind of wrapped up the Halloween series as we felt like it, it really was in that last time. These are indeed remakes, reimaginings, whatever you want to call them. But I want to start with Rob Zombie a little bit. And, you know, tell me, you had mentioned once that you liked White Zombie a little bit. I wasn't a fan of theirs, but I did know who he was. I listened to White Zombie quite a bit in my high school days. And actually, I think I've seen them in concert three times, wow. three different occasions. Um, at least. Cool. And, uh, yeah, loved it. I loved that music. I loved the, the whole theme that he put together for those two mainstream albums. I even have a very limited album of theirs from before they got signed called, uh, Make Them Die Slowly. It's the most common of their pre record label albums, but it's still not like super common. Okay. So it's kind of cool. I have one of those lying around. It's terrible, by the way. Uh, the, it sounds like they recorded in a tin can. And they, they even say that to themselves. I mean, yeah. it was really, really poorly done. But, uh, you know, it's kind of fun. But yeah, I was a big uh, white zombie fan. And then they broke up, of course, probably around 1998. I was in college. Or, and, uh, you know, I just never really followed Rob on his solo career much at all other than the fact that I knew Dracula because that was the first hit he had coming out. And then he, the WWE used a song of his for uh ring entrance for edge. And I think they used another one of his songs for a pay-per-view uh, theme song and things like that. But other than that, uh, never really followed him after white zombie had broken up. See, and I, di- I didn't, I knew who white zombie was. I just didn't go for that. I knew Dragula. I think that, that was a better song that was hard to ignore for a while, especially in the video era. But I knew him when he got into directing because of his big theatrical music videos and stuff. And I had seen House of a Thousand Corpses really just on the strength of I had heard it was Rob Zombie's film and I, you know, I, the VHS was for sale at my local Blockbuster when they were trying to get rid of all their VHSs. So I got it for like a dollar ninety nine. I got that and Blair Witch too for a total of like four dollars. So, nice. <laughs> you know, so I, I had seen that and I, when I found out Rob Zombie was taking over Halloween or that he was being brought in to do the next Halloween, I thought, well, now that's an interesting choice. And I, you know, not really knowing anything more about him other than just those those two films, I thought, well, you know what? That's not uh, that's they can do a lot worse than that. So I was well, what, intrigued. 
Yeah, wasn't it his deal? Not that he was brought in at all. It was him wanting to do this and and pushing for it. They approached him about several oh. things, and he had a lot of ideas. Of course, most of them his own stuff or whatever. But then they said, "Well, hey, how would you be, you know, another Halloween movie?" And he said, "Well, I don't really want to do a sequel, but if you let me kind of redo it." Uh, and do my thing, then yeah, I would go for it. And the Akkads uh, said, yeah, you know what? Uh, let's give a little fresh blood to it. Sure. So he actually talked to John Carpenter about it. And Carpenter was like, dude, do whatever you want. I don't care. And uh, just, you know, pay me if you're going to use the theme song. And uh, which, is, <laughs> which is usually Carpenter's answer when people ask him what he thinks. Right. What does but, he care? Right. Well, I mean, you know what? That's actually, that makes him cool in my book. Because some of these guys get real bent out of shape about, you know, who takes on their, their stuff. Wes Craven, Clyde Barker, I'm looking well, at. You. But, but I, you know, he said, go with it. And Zombie said, well, you know, I'm only going to do it if you guys let me tell this as the story of Michael Myers. It's not going to be about a girl. We're not really even going to focus on that very much. I, I really want to do this movie about Michael Myers. And the compromise was, well, you can do half of it about what made Michael Myers, Michael Myers, but you got to give us the classic movie kind of remade at least for part of the movie. So this movie really operates in two halves because of that. And I, and we can talk about that as we get into it, but I didn't know much more about it other than just Rob Zombie was, you know, taking it on. It was going to have a lot of the kid, Michael, he was going to talk and they got this big ex wrestler to play Michael Myers. That was really all I knew about it going into it in 2007. He can't even be considered a wrestler. <laughs> Come on. He was one of the many WCW large men that they tried to put over, right? I mean, yeah, you, like you, a you're, week. The, you're the wrestling <laughs> expert, so tell us about Tyler Maine's limited I know background. nothing about the guy, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I didn't even know he was a wrestler until you made me look him up, and then I, I'd never heard of the character he played, so I can't imagine it was on TV more than a couple months. <laughs> I think most people know him because he was in the first X-Men movie. He played Sabretooth. And that, if you know him from anything, that's probably what it's from. So um, that's what he was. But they you know, they got him, and I thought, well, that's interesting. And then oh, we said in the opening there, rather than a straight remake, I, I've always thought of this more as a reimagining, retelling of it. And yeah. I'm not so certain that wasn't a good idea. I think it was a great idea. Uh, you know, especially in the age that we're in now where you have your Batman reboots and everything else and they're making them more of a realistic type thing, mm -hmm. uh, bringing more reality into it. I think that's cool. And I think that's what this movie does too, is it tries to give you an actual story of yeah. what happened and why and all these things. And it's, it makes it more realistic to you than just having some guy who, you know, murders his his sister and goes into a psych ward and becomes a hell monster. They explain what happens and how he becomes what he is and all that stuff. And I, I thought that was a good idea. It was a good approach. But is it as good as a druid cult? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I think the answer to that would be an astounding yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brian, why don't you tell us what is Rob Zombie's reimagining of Halloween? This film focuses on the events that led Michael Myers to become the infamous serial killer. We see Michael's home life is less than desirable with a slutty sister Judith, his mother the stripper, and her abusive boyfriend, and a newborn baby. Picked on at school and finally having enough, Michael bludgeons his bully with a stick, while Dr. Sam Loomis, called in by the school, informs Mrs. Myers about her son's obsession with killing animals and troubles he's been having at school. 
On Halloween night, Michael murders his older sister and her boyfriend, as well as his mother's boyfriend. Committed to the Smith Grove Sanitarium, Michael closes himself off from everyone, even Dr. Loomis, who desperately tries to help him. His mother later commits suicide, and he is left to rot in the sanitarium. Seventeen years later, Michael escapes and heads to Haddonfield to find his younger sister. He stalks and kills her adoptive parents and several of her friends before finally catching up with a girl now known as Lori. He attempts to explain to her that he is her brother through the use of a picture that he has kept of himself and her as an infant. Unable to understand, Lori fights back. Dr. Loomis arrives, but Michael seemingly crushes his face while in pursuit. Eventually, Lori uses Loomis's gun to shoot Michael in the face just as the police reinforcements arrive on scene and credits roll. That is our plot summary for Halloween's remake. So a lot of stuff in here, Jay, that's quite different from the original, but a lot of stuff that's similar as well. Yeah, I mean, like I said uh, earlier, the, the first half of this movie is the backstory of Michael Myers, and it has its three acts. And then the second half of the movie is really the remake of John Carpenter's Halloween, it, told through the Rob Zombie lens, and really more from Michael's point of view. And we can talk about that as we go through it. But let's let's start where the movie starts, man. The the messed up life of uh, <laughs> young Michael Myers. Let, let me get all that back now. Mom's a stripper. The sister's a slut, dad's dead, and the boyfriend, boy, William Forsythe, you know, good character actor. I've seen him in a lot of stuff. I think most people know him from, like, The Rock. He was one of the FBI agents or whatever. We talk about, like, the most stereotypical meth house redneck <laughs> of all time and the funny thing about this to me is i'm like this is supposed to be illinois i'm from the south that's how these people that's how people talk he didn't sound like he's from there it's like they they washed him up from johnson city tennessee or something you know i i think it's kind of good that they went down this route because it it's very typical of people who become serial killers to have such a messed up family life right right now there are definitely cases where that's not true mm-hmm. um a lot of times they come from broken households which this definitely is oh yeah uh, daddy's gone and, and mommy's gone a lot <laughs> yeah. and they're left with this total jerk who treats them like trash basically he treats everyone like trash in that house mm-hmm. and uh you know what, what i found most disturbing is this poor little baby sitting in the corner and, and then the yelling would start and baby would cry and get scared and all this stuff. And oh my gosh, you know, it's just what a chaotic household. You, you know, you, you feel for the ki- the baby, but then you think, you know, the baby's never going to remember any of this. So that's good. Right. Um, but yeah, just crazy stuff. The thing that gets me about this and it's a, it's a hallmark of zombie movies. Like it, have you seen any of other Rob zombie movies? Uh, no, I have not. Okay. So, well, I'm going to tell you, they all have characters like this in them. He is like obsessed with the most depraved, worst human beings that ever walk the earth. Not the like corporate sleaze, but just like the scummiest people you would not want to run into. White trash, you know, is, is just the word that comes to mind when I think of Rob Zombie aesthetic. And, Kind of like a couple of other filmmakers that are out there that I'll leave unnamed in this podcast. Zombie, <laughs> Zombie to me never really knows when to stop with a lot of that. He pours it on thick, thick, thick. And the first thing we see is this kid in this chaotic household wearing a mask, playing with his pet rat, and then all this chaos at the 
kitchen table with breakfast and this back and forth with the mom and all this. And I'm just sitting there going like, and I remember in the theater and every time I watch this movie, the first eight minutes of it are so hard for me to get through because I just, Oh, I just hate this kind of stuff. I just, Oh, it's, it's awful. It's awful to watch. And I, I know that, kind of thing exists in the world i just don't like watching it and oh, it, yeah. it makes it hard to get into unlike the you know, that first the first halloween it grabs you right from the spot because it was that opening shot and it was all that artistic stuff going on and this creepy music and stuff well this is like the exact opposite of that let's start in just the weirdest place in the late 70s we can get yeah, you know, it didn't uh it didn't make it hard for me at all to watch and in fact I was I was drawn in right away to see, you know, this is how Michael Myers was brought up and it, you now you're thinking, wow, you know, I'd want to kill that guy too if I were him probably, <laughs> you know, he's basically picking on you, you know, calling you gay and everything else and he's 10 years old and it's just like come on but uh you, you know but you gotta think you, you look at these there's this family and you think to yourself wow you know why do people let themselves get into these situations you know why why live with this loser who treats you like crap I mean, you gotta have other options and you know there's different parts of the film where they show like old eight millimeter home movies of the the you know, the mother and the kids and all this stuff. And at one time, this was a very normal looking set of people. And somewhere you got to figure when dad died, times got hard and mom started stripping or whatever is, is when everything just went to hell, you know, somewhere along the way. And Michael, I don't think they're trying to make excuses as like, okay, this is why Michael's so screwed up. He's, you know, psychotic anyway. This just doesn't help it. And you know, the way that we, we really get to know that is we see how angry and violent he is. And I want to say this right now. Dag Farrick is one of the scariest, creepiest kids actors I've ever seen. <laughs> and mm-hmm. most of the time, kid actors, when they're in horror movies, they have no idea what they're in or whatever. He totally knew exactly what he was doing. They told him to play a part, to play the role. He knew all of it. And I think that helps the role, the fact that he knows what he is to become and all that stuff. I, I He played it great. I really thought the kid was excellent. Yeah, I thought he did a fantastic job. He was, he definitely had everything down from the look, you know, the looks he gave, the anger, you could see the anger in him. Mm-hmm. You know, even when he wasn't making any kind of face or anything, you just saw that anger that he had lying underneath his eyes. Uh, he, he, I mean, he played it to a T. It was fantastic. And, just, you know, I love the, the fact that they kept the clown mask mm. as part of, part of it, right? Yeah. But I also like the fact that they brought in other masks to, yeah. to bring it in to get his obsession with this covering and hiding his face. I thought that was a, a beautiful plot move that they did there. Um, but yeah, he, he sold so well and, and you just saw that this kid was going to snap and you're just waiting to see it. You know, even if you had not ever seen the original Halloween coming into this, you knew something was going to happen with this kid. Right. Like that's, that's how it's told us is how does the, the most infamous serial killer of all time, what does he come from? And this is, you know, answers to that. And it's not a pretty place. And, but, but I will say this again, well acted, well done. Um, I like too that instead last time you know, Judith was just a typical teenage girl looked like that, you know, had gone out with her, you know, gone with her boyfriend or whatever. The girl playing Judith this time is like a, a total, 
skank. Like that's, that's the way they yeah. play her. So she plays it like that. And I think that's a different take. I mean, she even has that whole thing with her mother about, I don't want to eat eggs. Those are chicken abortions. And her mother's like, where did she get that? Like, well, you're the one that knows what an abortion is. You know, and you just get like this, just real distaste they have for each other as if, you know, teenagers didn't get along with their parents enough, but like, you know, it's just amped up to 11 too. And then you got the creepy boyfriend talking about how hot she is and stuff, which is just that was really weird and uncomfortable. That was a little more than we needed to see. But I see that. what I mean? This is what I mean. Zombie never knows when to quit. <laughs> well, you know, but this is probably typical of some places, you know? Oh, yeah. What does he care? It's not his daughter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know? he can say what he wants or feels like he can at least, right? So, right. What about the, the, the deal with the bully at school and the way all that goes down? I like the fact that Michael Myers' first kill isn't his sister. And they play it really well. They they bring in a lot of these things. Like, the, you know, the, one of the infamous things of Jeffrey Dahmer was that uh, he first started by killing animals, you know, and it was brought into the attention of people now that a, a, one of the telltale signs of someone who's going on to more disgusting and, and sadistic things, they start by torturing and killing animals. And that's a sign that you need someone to get help. And Jeffrey Dahmer's case really kind of brought that to light. And so Zombie used that here. And I thought that was a brilliant thing to use. I, I like the fact that they found all these pictures, too. Like, he's documenting his kills, um, which is interesting. According to Zombie and his research, that was exactly what somebody that is a sociopath would do as they go further and further into darkness. You know, they get off on the death. And that's straight out of like BTK and people like that. This whole, this whole Michael Myers backstory, I actually really enjoyed it a lot because I thought it told me a layer of Michael Myers that I didn't know before that was well explained and needed to be explained. I think someone just doesn't become an, a serial killer by accident. There's events and things that lead up to it, and this was an awesome explanation of that. Well, in, in 1978, you could just have a guy that just went went crazy and stalked babysitters and killed them. That was the simplicity of the story, and that's why it worked. But in 2007, we've seen all this. We've got all the 48 hours type shows and all that stuff. Like We know this stuff, right? So we got to up the game. And the way you up the game is you tell the story and you tell it from origin, and it's a dark one for sure. I mean, a very dark origin. And I don't know. I, I liked it, but that, the bully thing at school is the other part of this that I really liked is the idea that – this he would not only be an aggressor to defenseless things, but that he would also be someone who was picked on by bigger and older kids. You know, and he gets into it with those two kids in the bathroom over the picture of his mom and dressed up as a stripper. Yeah, and you know who wouldn't? <laughs> the last thing you want to have kids do is find pictures of your mom who as a stripper. Uh, I can't remember if she was naked or not. I don't. She, think she was she not. Was. That's the that's the one thing yeah. a lot of people will notice is that almost every other female actress in this film gets completely naked, except for the mom who's a stripper. <laughs> so, but anyway, not right. that I wanted to see that. I'm just saying it was an odd choice, and it's not like yeah. Sherry Moon, you know, is, is averse to such things. But anyway. Right, so, right. Yeah. No, and, and you know, I, I mean, if someone had a picture of my mom in provocative pose like that, I'd probably try to kick the crap out of them too and exactly. get pissed. 
right? I mean, yeah. I wouldn't kill them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't think that was why he killed them. It was more other things building on top, on top, on top. But, uh, well, yeah. That lands, that lands him in the principal's office, of course, yep. as, as yeah. it normally would. Well, they and, were fighting him. Yeah, well, exactly. What landed him in the principal's office is when he told off the principal. Well, yeah, he told him to <laughs> F off. And yeah, yeah, that, that didn't help. And then the principal goes through his backpack and finds all the crazy pictures, calls the mom down there, and we get to meet our new Dr. Loomis, who's a child psychologist called in because he's a friend of the principal to kind of look at this and to talk to the mom about look your kid's got some serious problems and Malcolm McDowell my favorite casting choice of Rob Zombies was to put Malcolm McDowell in this role I love this guy I don't care what how bad the movie is it is he's in he always gives a really cool performance and he just has he has this neat gravitas he's a different energy than Donald Pleasance but I really liked him as Loomis I loved his casting. I really enjoy his character acting. I liked him on Heroes when he was on yep. there. Uh, that's really what I know him from. I don't really recognize him from much else other than that. But I really enjoyed his take on Dr. Loomis. I thought he did a fantastic job. I like that he, it showed, you know, all we know from Dr. Lo- Loomis from the original series is that he had tried to break through with Michael Myers for 10 years at that point. I like that we're seeing what he was trying to to accomplish. He was yeah. trying to bring out the human side in him, find out if he had any remorse, anything like that. And it was cool to watch. I thought the I thought that Malcolm did a fantastic job playing Dr. Loomis and I like him much better than than Pleasant's version. Uh, you know, a lot of you're not the only person I've heard say that, and I, you know, to me, it's they're different characters, and I appreciate him for what he's doing as the the Loomis character here. I just thought he was, he just had the right energy for it. I, I don't know. I just really enjoyed his take as Loomis, and I like how they introduce him mm-hmm. early here. And I, you know, when they get into, yeah. the, we'll talk about them at the asylum. I like those scenes too, but I really like how he's trying to relate to the mother and tell her, look, you know. We, we got to you know, get your boy some help. I, I you know I don't want to offend you. I'm not here to try to take over your life. I just I'm you know worried about your kid, and that's all me and the principal here care about. And Michael sees all this going on. It's the thing, and he runs off down the hall, grabs his stuff, and just bails out of school. And right. that's when he catches up with the bully who's getting out of detention. And I, what well, would you say about about what goes down there, man? Well, I thought it was interesting because they showed him stalking the bully. Yeah. Right? Like he was watching as the bully came out from a distance, mm-hmm. like a Michael Myers is known to do. And he heard, here's the bully say, if I see Myers, I'm going to kill him. Mm-hmm. I think that's what snaps him. I mean, I really do. And so he goes and basically hunts him. Uh, with a big like broken limb and right i mean beats the shit out of this kid i mean it is it's hard to watch what he does to this kid with that stick because he hits him the first couple times and the kid's like you're gonna get it now and then he really gets him once with it and the kid's tunes totally different he's like dude stop i'm sorry let it go and of course michael's not gonna let it go and i Mm -mm. i love what really gets him is he pulls that mask up and he digs around in the bully's jacket pocket. And he finds that stripper ad again with the mom yep. in it, pulls the mask back down, and then, you know, he just goes to town on that thing. And uh, the one thing I'll give Zombie credit for, he and his DP here did a great job with the shots of it going between Michael swinging that stick and this, like, the last things this kid sees in the sky as he's 
having his brains beat out. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it is a brutal kill. But I realized something if I hadn't already figured it out in the first ten minutes of the movie was that this movie is going to be unrelenting in its brutality. I'm not supposed yeah. to be scared by it as much as I'm just supposed to be unnerved by all of it. And I think that's what Zombie's going for. Well, I think he's going for a more realistic look. You mm-hmm. know, if someone were to take a big stick like that and beat the tar out of someone this is what they would look like i mean yeah. the blood the face the you know the dark blood mm-hmm. all that it was it was very gruesome mm-hmm. but uh, it helped you understand what this kid is doing and capable of yeah exactly i mean it and yeah. just i mean he leaves him there just in the park and then he just goes home just like no big deal you know just that that's even scarier you know at that point that's when it gets frightening is the next thing you see he's sitting in front of the television waiting to go trick-or-treat and it's like wow <laughs> you know that but you mentioned it before they make his first kill not his sister and you know his first human kill is the bully and i don't know it's it's a different way of looking at it but you know he i guess he decided that was enough let me ask you this. What do you think really made him decide, well, tonight's got to be the night that I take out everybody else in the family, too? It's a good question. I think uh, I think he snapped because the boyfriend was being a real jerk again. And his sister and boy, her boyfriend promised to take him trick-or-treating, and they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. They went up and had sex instead. And I think they just snapped at that point. I mean, he's, we see him like sitting at the kitchen table eating candy, which, by the way, would love hurts going on in the background. What a weird song <laughs> choice. That's yeah. another Rob Zombie thing is to have just weird songs playing at different times. But you got that. And then he just decides, OK, I think I'm going to I'm going to get busy now. And he gets up. And I, let's go through these three kills, you know, it's piece by piece. He gets a roll of duct tape and a knife. And, I, you know, yeah. I, I will admit, and I'm not proud of this fact, but I've been intoxicated to the point before that I slept pretty hard, you know, afterward. M- much younger days, I will say that now. And I don't recommend that activity for anyone. But I, I don't know that I would sleep with someone putting duct tape around my face. I, I mean, he yeah, like... Yeah, you would hope com- not. <laughs> yeah, he completely straps the dude down. That's it's amazing what he's able to pull off. Yeah, and you know, I thought, you know, while I was watching him do this, I thought what he was going to do was he had them all head to toe basically. I thought he was going to cover up the nose then with duct tape and let him basically Smother? Yeah, I thought he was is going to die of uh, being asphyxiated by the duct tape, which I think would have been a much more brutal kill. Yeah. But instead, he gets the knife and cuts his throat, which, again, is pretty brutal, but that kills you pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, it was was that gory throat slash, and then we hear in the news van later on, like he stabbed him in the face 20 times, too, or something. And I was like, but what about the way that he does it? It's very similar to the bully kill. Slices his throat, then lifts up that mask, then puts it back down. You know, it's it's all about these masks, right? Well, we talked about that in some of the earlier movies, that masks are a big deal for him and so uh, well and i think it's uh the mask is to hide the 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 incident from yourself you're a different person on the mask and by pulling it off he's showing himself what he's done he's he's disassociating from it correct so, yeah exactly that's yep 
the idea. So, uh, which oddly enough was also the uh, the uh, plot device of a Sylvester Stallone coming of age movie called Over the Top, where he turns a hat backwards and arm wrestles better. But anyway, I don't think that's what they were referencing when that that last. I hope maybe. not. Yeah, <laughs> so maybe someday we'll we'll go down that road. I mean, <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> oh, never say never, my friend. But anyway, yeah. uh, um, so there's there's Ronnie. Now we talked about Steve, uh, the boyfriend, and Judith upstairs. You know, getting it on, and I love how in the middle of this, this is how Rob Zombie chose to in, introduce the classic Michael Myers mask. It was something that Steve brought over as a joke, put it on with Judith, and was like, "Come on, babe, I want to do it with the mask on." And I thought that was right. hilarious. I did too. I was like, "Oh, well, that's an interesting way to bring the mask into play." I, yeah, I got it. That, that that's cool. Yeah, and uh, you know. I like that. Uh, well, I don't like, but the 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 fact that he then uses that mask when he kills his sister instead of the the, the clown mask. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. And and it and, explains where it comes from too. I mean, you give that mask an origin now. So yeah, but before we get to the sister's death, because yeah. that's disturbing in itself. Yeah. Uh, the boyfriend and the sister finally get done having sex, and he's going down to get a, I guess, a snack. After, you know, getting it on. Hey, worked, and up, he's, worked up a sweat, man. Oh, well, yeah, you know, worked <laughs> up a hunger. And, and so he's over there, you know, chowing on some food from the, I think he's making a sandwich out of like deli. He's making meat, a actually. ham sandwich is what it looks like to yep. me. <laughs> and out of, out of the back behind him comes Michael and he just clocks him with a metal baseball bat, an aluminum baseball bat. Yeah. Oh my God. That was brutal to me. I was like, the only work on that is amazing. Like, I don't know what they hit with the bat, but it sounded like what a skull and a bat, I would think, would sound like. It was. That's terrible. It was grotesque. And then, I mean, just loses his mind beating him to death. Different than the bully. Like, the bully just kept swinging and hitting him. With Steve, like, he's grunting and groaning and just, I don't know how many times he hits this dude, but. Just completely obliterates him on the kitchen floor. Yeah, it was uh, that to me is probably one of the more gruesome kills. Just because the yeah. thought of being smashed over the head multiple times to the bat just ugh, I don't freaks me out a little bit. I'm, yeah, I, well, you know, as someone who's who survived a traumatic head injury younger in my life, I watch that. And I'm like, oh, that's just hard to look at because yeah. I mean, good grief, you know, because it's just. Ugh, it, <laughs> it's brutal. It, it is. It's again. I keep using that word, but it's true. It's this movie is it, brutal. Yeah, and, this movie is very brutal. Yeah, and and I'll say that too. You know, I, I'm not the first person to come up with that. I'll tell you, actually, the first person I heard say that was Rob Zombie's wife, who saw the early cut of it, of course, and said, "God, this thing is brutal." <laughs> and he mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, that's kind of the idea," and uh, that's certainly where it goes. But I, I'm going to tell you, the disturbing kill of all of them is the one coming up with Judith. This yes. is just creepy. And I, I've seen the behind the scenes thing, so I know it's not the kid for part of it. Um, he's only in just like a scene or two of it with her. Uh, really, all they do is they get him to walk in, pick up the mask, put it on, start walking toward her, and then it switches to the stunt double because they didn't want the 10 year old to paw all over the 20 year old woman, <laughs> you know, which I'm sure she wasn't cool with that either. But that's the weird part. She's laying there yeah. with headphones on, listening to Don't Fear the Reaper, and uh, which is still an <laughs> awesome song and still me- needs more cowbell. And Michael walks up, puts on the, the Steve mask, which is the, the standard blank face mask. And bloody hands and all just starts kind of rubbing her on the leg. You know, she's wearing like a nightshirt and she thinks it's the boyfriend. 
yep. then all of a sudden turns around and it's her little brother. That's a little awkward. Yeah, just a tad. But in that family, mm-hmm. not too surprising. You wouldn't think, right? Like it's just it's mm-hmm. it's very weird. And then of course she starts, you know, jerking him around a little bit, and slaps him in the face a couple times, and then he buries one right in her chest. Oh yeah, <sighs> I think it was in her stomach. Yeah, yeah. What up? Just just deep dive. Yeah. And then chases her out in the hall and yep. goes to town on this woman with that knife. I mean, very gross. What this, what this, what I thought of when I saw this part was Manson family killings of the Tate yeah. Labianca killings because they they played it like kind of like the way that uh, Abigail Folger or one of the other uh, victims had had it done, where she got stabbed, mm-hmm. then crawled outside, and someone came up from behind her and just stabbed the crap out of her. Yeah, and that's what I saw when I saw this, and I and it just freaked me out a little bit i thought of that and i thought of the fort bragg uh mcdonald killings from the the uh, early or 1970s so uh, or no 1963 rather so i uh, which was right around the same time as the manson stuff so i mean yeah. all all based on the same thing but yeah really really messed up and uh you know just uh I, yeah brutal and i you know, you see Michael just stab, stab, cut, stab, 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 and this poor girl's just bleeding to death walking down the hall, and then she just slumps over. And I love how the deaths are much more realistic, the way people die. They don't yeah. just die. Like, she just sort of shivers, 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 and then she just stops breathing, and that's it. And then he's just standing there covered in it, you know, at that point, yeah. and then walks into the baby's room. That was what then takes the mask off and lays the knife down and like picks up and starts hanging out with the baby. That was messed up. It was very messed up, but it just shows you that, you know, all these other people that he lives with, they, he has very poor relations with, except for mom and except for little baby sister. Right. You know, you'll see it throughout there. He's very close to his little baby sister and, and there's a connection there. And I think it plays throughout this mm-hmm. movie. And so, um, they, they really build that up. And, and here, you know, he kills everyone in the house, but little baby gets little baby and starts rocking, rocking baby while he waits for mom to come yeah, home sitting on- and find the slot. I mean, yeah. Things. I mean, he's <laughs> sitting on the front porch eating Halloween candy with that baby in the cold of October. You know, mom comes home. No telling how late this is, right? It's probably one in the morning at that point. Right. You know, I don't know. I don't know how late strip clubs stay open. At the but yeah, I, but they usually open until about three. Yeah. Or four. So I, you know, I imagine that was a long night. So she comes in. And she's like, "What's wrong? What's going on?" And he, all he says is, "It's over." And then you hear the police sirens. Yeah. And I love how the rest of this scene plays out. That you've got the the news guy talking. You got her losing her mind as they wheel the bodies out, and then everything just stops. And it's frozen as that voiceover from the news is happening and you hear all the carnage and it just pans over to him sitting in the police car and he just turns with that dead eye look and looks through the glass. Mm. That was really effective. I thought that was a great scene and really engaging. I agree. I thought that was fantastically done. And I like that part. I like how they they actually freeze frame. Freeze framed everything, mm-hmm. right? It, it just was nothing was moving. You got the voiceover and you got to the cop car and that's when he turns and looks at you as if it was not actually happening, yeah. but they wanted you to see. And th- I thought it was. And really then cool. the next thing they do is him at the sanitarium. Eleven months later, he's sentenced, you know, for this and he goes to under the care of 
Dr. Loomis at Smith's Grove and we see them in session together, you know, where he's trying to relate to Michael, trying to talk to him, trying to get him to open up. And I love how when he asked him, do you remember anything about that night? How did you get blood on you? Oh, I didn't do that. Yeah, that wasn't me. And right. it's like, yeah. really? And he keeps asking a constant question. When can I go home? When can I go home? When can I go home? His mother comes to visit, and he keeps talking about that. And he even, I mean, he just gets her once. You see her just choking back the tears. Like, is everybody at home okay? You know, and it's and what you realize is like either there's one of two ways you can read that. Either he is that sadistic and just wants to play it over and over again, or that is the last bit of his humanity sort of seeping out of him before he becomes the monster that he is. Well, and I don't think he becomes fully the monster that he is until after. He goes on the rage in a little right. bit here, but I I think what it is is his dis is showing his disassociation. Yeah. When, with the mask on, he becomes someone else, and I think that what they're showing when he takes the mask off to look at what's been done is he's seeing what's happening, but didn't know that he's doing. Yeah, it, you know, and that that's a a thing that actually does happen where people totally black out when they commit these horrific crimes and don't have any memory of them. So maybe that is the case with this young kid that he blacked out and went on this rampage. Now I doubt it, but it's possible. There is a, there is a scene in there. There's two scenes I want to talk about. One is where he's, you know, he talks about making the masks and, you know, his mother asked him why he wears the mask and stuff. He's like, I hides my ugliness. And he starts, you know, letting you in on clues to that stuff. And then there's another one where you can tell it's wintertime and it's, you know, he's in a sweater and he's just bawling his eyes out, just screaming at Loomis, you know, about something. And he rips that mask off and he's just like in a fever. Like you, you've got kids, Brian, you've seen them just where they just lose it, you know, finally, and just need to get it out. He's having one of those moments. And I thought that was some of the best acting that kid did because, and I love the way Loomis plays it too. Is It's a great therapist moment. He doesn't get moved by it. He's just trying to be calm, trying to keep him in on track and trying to keep him focused. And he just can't focus on any of it. He just is so wrapped up in this disassociation that he can't figure out why he can't get out of there. And there's a line that got cut when they take him outside or Loomis takes him outside and is trying to have a session with him. He keeps saying, I need to go home. I need to go home. I just need to go home. I just need to get out of here. And he's like, that's not going to happen for a very long time. And then they cut and there's a line that's in a deleted scene where you actually hear him say that I don't have anything else to say. And it's the last thing he says for the, for the film. And I kind of yeah. wish that they had left that in there because I thought that that's a that, great line that needed to be said. I don't know why it got cut, but, um, yeah, I don't know why either. I think that's actually a very, very good line to have in there. But, uh, you know, time constraints, things get cut. I guess. Out. So we got to talk about the when the mom visits after he's completely stopped talking. He's hiding behind that mask, yeah. and they leave him in the room with the nurse. Um, mom oh. brings him a picture of him and the baby, him holding the baby, presumably not long after she was born. And little black and white picture. And of course, mom and Loomis walk out and Loomis is talking about, I'm going to have to give him electric shock treatment, you know, something, anything. And the nurse says this, the most awful thing to him, like cute baby couldn't be related to you. Right. And he picks mm -hmm. up a fork and I'm like, first thing I'm like, well, that's really great security. You give the guy who stabbed people to death, a metal fork to eat with. I don't care what <laughs> he's eating. He can eat with his hands, but <laughs> he picks up that fork and he like, garrots her with it and rips her throat out with that fork 
Yeah, he does a lot of damage with tour. It was uh, it was pretty brutal. But you, what I thought was interesting is you you see in that scene he's completely out of his yes. mind, berserk. He's just going nuts, screaming, ripping her to shreds, just just out of his mind, and it and- was just crazy. And of course, what I love is is as Doctor Loomis and his mom are walking away, all of a sudden here comes a security guard's running, and he's like, "What happened? What happened? What happened?" And he's chasing after him. He's like, "What? I, what? What happened? <laughs> I just left exactly." Him and I, and I love boom. when they get in there too, and they you know his mother tries to get over there to him, and he just lunges at her with his teeth bared, you know, like he's just trying to eat her face or something. And I thought that's mm-hmm. when he just lost it right there, and and she does oh, yeah. too. Like, exactly. That's that's what I thought too. That's the point where he became that Michael Myers. Yeah, and and you know the that's his last tie to humanity besides the baby, his mom, because the mom then goes home and shoots herself. You know, so yeah. that's it. And he's left like like he was in the plot summary. He just kind of left a rot in a sanitarium at that point. You know, and yep. uh, I don't know. It's it's a bleak way, but boy, what a great ending to all of that. And then you have you know the flash forward to when he's an adult and he's this big hulking thing sitting there silently chained to the chair as Loomis tells him, "I'm done. You know, I've done this for how many years now, and we're not getting anywhere. I'm done." And you know, yeah. and he's walking away, and they're basically telling Myers, "Yeah, you're you're here. That's it." So, and uh, it's like he's been abandoned there, and that's that's really where I kind of think the first half of the movie ends is in that moment when Loomis tells him he's done. And I thought, oh, I, I agree. I think that's definitely the end of the first uh, act. I guess you could say the first part of the movie, which is the backstory. Right. From here on, we are Michael Myers, and we are a brutal right. Man. And well, and and we are in the <laughs> For more or less, we're in the remake of John Carpenter's Halloween at the, for the Correct, back half. Yeah. There's a couple of scenes that are different, but we, we really are now going to service all of that plot as we get into this. And uh, I don't know. That's, uh, just as the backstory part, though, I, I got to tell you, I, I, again, the first five minutes of the movie, I'm just like, oh, God, I don't know if I can sit through this. But once I let myself get into it and go with it, I'm, I'm just intrigued. And part of me wonders how how rejected the movie would have been had they have never gone back to Haddonfield and done this, if they had just spent all the time leading up to, you know, the moments when he's an adult. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's not the story you want to tell, but. Um, well, yeah. no, I think you had to do it. And I don't think by doing it in a separate movie, it would have worked as yeah. well. People are going to see Halloween, a remake to see the story of Halloween. Right. The, everything that happened before that, is bonus material, mm-hmm. you know? This is a cool backstory, but we're here to see what we know as Halloween, and we'll get that. And I like that. I, th- I think they went about it the correct well, way. Well, let, let's talk about Michael's breakout here, because um, this is the only version of the movie you've ever seen. Uh, the theatrical yeah. version is much, much different. I encourage you to go look it up. I think it's on YouTube. He's basically, like, there's an extra scene where they tell him they're transferring somewhere else because Loomis is not his doctor anymore, and he's going to, like, to a maximum penitentiary or something like that and while walking down the hallway in chains he just busts out of his chains and uses the chain as like a rope weapon and takes out a bunch of security guards and then just walks out the door it's like a big action scene Hmm. what happens here instead is you have the nasty orderlies or whatever who are sexually assaulting a female inmate in front of him for reasons that i don't really understand 
well, they set it up beforehand, right? You've got that one idiotic security guard who just feels like he's a badass, right? right? And he is yelling at Michael Myers. Oh, he's gonna, you know, don't even try it. Try me. I'll kick the shit out of you. I'll beat you up. I'll, I'll rip you to shreds. And let's just say, he's just laying it on. Probably a foot smaller and a hundred pounds less than top. Oh, (laughs) easily, right? Complete idiot. And, and, uh, that, that's what he's doing. So they set that up. And then, of course, he, they set him up as a real jackass. So what was a, what was a jackass do? Take advantage of psychiatric patients by trying to rape Mm -hmm. one. And why they go to Michael Myers' cell, I don't quite get, but, uh, I guess it's him trying to show Michael Myers, you know, that he's got control over him or something. And that backfires quite. Yeah, because him and his buddy get completely torn up by Michael in his orange Halloween mask, as it were. He breaks one guy basically in half, throws him to the ground, and then gets the other dude and just thunks his head off the side of the wall and kills him. (laughs) Then grabs the keys and just walks out the door. (laughs) And it's like, wow, that... I don't know. I, I'll tell you now. I've I've never liked that version of it. I always liked the action scene version of it because it it literally comes out of nowhere, Brian. Like you, they're walking him down the hall. He's as docile as ever. And then all of a sudden, he moves his arms and boom, boom, pulls both of them loose and just starts throwing people around. It's a big action scene. The sad part of it is, and I guess the part to just drive home how bad the dude really is, he's got one friend in there, Danny Trejo, who's kind of taking care of him the whole time he's been there and yeah. stuff, and. He Ishmael. He doesn't even live. Like he kills him and he drowns him in a tub. Like it's, it's even worse. It's mm-hmm. like he didn't even make it quick. It's that's to let us know. I think though that you don't don't believe there's anything left in this guy. That he is nothing but a monster now. And and it, it I works. Agree. I mean yeah. that's an effective you know use of that. I agree that that's exactly what that was to point out because you see him pleading with Michael. 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 Why are you doing this to me, Michael? You know, please let me live. And he, he has none, no, nothing left. There's nothing left there to, to even call to, to stop him. I mean, he, he, this guy is the only one other than Dr. Loomis in the whole place who's ever treated him well and done everything for him. And he's, yet he'll kill yeah, him. Just like he's nothing because it's all about getting out of there and going back home. I mean, that's what he's going to do. So, uh, and, and, you know, the way he gets there, Rob Zombie went out of his way to say, um, we are not going to have him drive a car. Like it, it was like, no, he's not driving a car. So there's going to be any of that this time. He's going to walk a hundred miles to get there. And along the way we have this, all what I can only describe is just this odd scene almost non sequitur where we meet this character who pulls up in a truck and is talking a lot of trash to people that wash the trucks for some reason. (laughs) And while he's, you know, in the stall, Michael comes in and is like, you know, I kind of like your clothes. Like I'm going to take, it's kind of like the scene out of Terminator two. I need your clothes, your motorcycle, (laughs) and all of your weapons now. And, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't personally need to know where he got the jump suit from i would have been fine if if it had been like before like we just see a random mechanic killed on the side of the road i don't know well yeah i i don't mind it actually i thought it was it was interesting but uh it probably wasn't necessary i fully expected him to take the semi then and start driving it around but yeah uh, 
how do you explain how he learned how to drive exactly. that? It's one thing to drive a station wagon. It's another to get in a, a truck with 18 gears. You know? it's a, yeah. Yeah, right. which is, again, they make a point. He doesn't do any of that. He just walks out and walks his way there. But uh, it's very weird. I don't know. But, it, you know, he goes back to his old house is the thing. And uh, in the floorboards, apparently sometime before mom got home and discovered the carnage, he buried the knife he used and that halloween mask well and he, there was definitely time yeah. to do it you know he, he he we don't know the time difference from when he stopped killing to when he was sitting out there and when she arrived so i assume there was time for him to do that right. and bury that kind of stuff but I, I i like that idea i like the idea that here he is in the the uh, uh sanitarium this whole mm-hmm. time making new masks every day almost right just Constantly making new masks and Out wearing them, mache, wearing yeah. them. Yep, but he want what he does when he gets home finally is find that one mm-hmm. mask. That was the mask he really liked, and he's kept it, puts it on, and then he becomes the Michael Myers that we all known before. And I, I'm, and I like I'm gonna say something controversial. Besides the first two movies, which are the original mask, and I love that mask, and it looks great. This is the best looking mask I've ever pulled off. That is a sin. That oh, is a sure. sinister looking mask, and most of it is modeled off of Tyler Maine's face. Oddly enough, um, yeah. They, I mean, huh. they just took the. They had a, a a photograph of the original mask from like one of the production stills of the first movie because it doesn't exist anymore. It's just latex, and they created the mask off of his skull, basically. And I thought well, they did a really good job of incorporating the two things. And if you see Maine outside of it, you kind of get, oh, yeah, he's kind of got that Shatner-esque face almost in some ways. So it's it works. But I like I like the evolution of the mask, and I thought it looked great. And I love that scene where it's, it's kind of rotted and as latex would be if it had been in the ground for 20 years, you know. And, sure. uh, you know, he's got he's starting to get his stuff together. And now it's time to introduce the new Laurie Strode and uh, different Totally different take on that character than last time. Last time she was the, like a better way to say it, the virgin in terror, right? You know, not really sure of Mm -hmm. herself, very introverted and stuff. This girl, on the other hand, is, she's sassy. And I want to tell you, I I liked that change. I I didn't want them to do a clone of Jamie Lee Curtis. I was like, if you wanted to do that, that would have been boring. I kind of like the performance that Scout Taylor Compton gives us here. Yeah, I think she's spunky. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's got some fire to her. Yet she still seems to be innocent. Well, sort right? of. But you know, you mentioned she's, that before. But like, she does that whole thing with like putting her finger through the bagel, which you know, of course, wigs her mom totally out. And I thought, yeah, you know, but, that that's that's the kind of thing though that would have gone on in Michael's house. So she's not too much different than her older sister well, in some ways. She's just been raised a little bit better. That's a teenage yeah. thing, you know. I mean. I did crap like that when I was younger. I had no idea what sex was at the time I was doing that. You know, I mean, come on. I just seen a couple pornos and, and you know, figured my way around, right? <laughs> but, uh, figure out. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, she still seems, based on her interactions with the friends who are going off to get laid yes. again, as usual, uh, it just seems she's, like she's still she's innocent. She's the good girl of her friends, for sure. Yes, for, for sure. sure. <laughs> she's just not the same one. But you know what? She's a kid in this would be the early 90s, so she acts like that. I mean, that's how she's supposed to act. Yeah. Uh, did you catch the casting of one of her friends, Annie? Danielle yes. Harris comes mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. 
Jamie. Yeah. Uh, total. <laughs> that's a total Rob Zombie thing. There's a lot of cameo, you know, people that pop up in here and stuff that he wants to put into movies and things. But I love that idea. Is that he didn't think she'd do it. And they asked her, and she's like, "Sure, you know." And so I don't know. I I liked that little move. It was a nice little nod to the fans that, oh yeah, we we yeah. know the history. That that's cool. I thought it was cool as well. I was I was looking. I was trying to remember which one she was in. If she was in this one or the next one, and apparently she's yep. in both. But uh, I really enjoyed uh, looking at that. And I said to the wife, "Hey, look, it's the little girl from." <laughs> You know, Halloween not so far. little anymore. I think she was thirty when this was made. So um, even, well, even it, though she, been a she's, years, I mean, she's yeah. not a big person, so she looks young. She's always looked young anyway. But it's, I thought it was neat though. But you know, what's funny is to watch her and to sort of take on this this role. You know, Annie was the, she was a, I don't know. She wasn't the dumb friend, I guess. Last time she was kind of the smarter one. She was also the one that was looking out for Lori in some way. Like she was trying to hook her up with a guy and all this stuff. And they kept some mm-hmm. of that in place. I kind of liked that. Yeah. Well, they talk about the boy that thinks she's cute and this and that. And it's kind of a callback to the same thing where I'm going to make you call this boy up. <laughs> you know, but anyway, but Lori um, goes along with it this time. That's the difference is the last time Lori was like doing everything she could to get out of that. Oh, for this sure. It's like, yeah, you know what? That would be kind of cool. Actually. Like she goes with it. And I thought, well, that's again, mm-hmm. a nice subtle change. Yeah, definitely. She, she's got definitely got more confidence in this one. And like I said, she's spunkier and I like that as well. But yeah, I liked, I liked the casting for Annie. I thought that was really well. And, um, the whole, thing with her bizarre (laughs) (laughs) so but i like the casting uh, of danielle to play this uh, annie character then you've got the other friend linda and her boyfriend who (laughs) is a real stoner i'm gonna tell you these (laughs) girls are are dating guys way below i mean like they're i I don't know i guess we don't know their social standing but uh options in hadfield that's all i'm saying (laughs) anyway they pull up to the Myers household. Yes. And apparently it's their Halloween tradition or they're just their fucking tradition <laughs> where they're going to have sex in this yes. house of all yep. places. I guess because they think nobody's going to go looking for them there I, or they can't get caught. I don't know. But what the I think hell? it's supposed to be provocative or something or it's just what crazy kids would do. I get I don't know, man. It's very weird. It's very weird. I agree. I it's stupid. <laughs> well, it, it, it is. <laughs> well, and of course, up until now, who knows how many times they've done this, and it's never really been a problem. <laughs> but as we know, Michael is back, and now it's going to be a problem for yeah, them. But I just, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking, what the heck? But they, I like how they preface it with the fact that I can't believe they're going to sell this house. Where are we going to go now? You know, it's like this is the place they go to have sex. Yeah. So now they have to find a new place to go to have sex. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, that's really kind of disturbing it's, it's that not, you would choose an old abandoned house exactly. like that. But it, and this is something my, we'll see Michael do. He walks in on both of these girls while they're having sex. Like he watches them mm-hmm. the whole time, you know, while it's going on. And it's, it's very weird and disturbing. And I, yeah, I, and yeah. you know, Bob, I mean, the kills are almost the same. The Bob gets up to, you know, go get beer or whatever and gets stabbed and hung through the wall. And then yep. Michael comes back with the sheet doing the whole ghost trick thing and hands her the beer and then strangles her from behind. Now, this time, I guess she's not on the phone with anybody, but 
you know, she's standing there full. I want to give the actress credit, man. I mean, she was totally nude for, you know, at least half of the time she's on screen. And like he <laughs> chokes her and then picks her up and walks her down the street. And from what I understand, it was quite cold outside. <laughs> that was not a comfortable woman <laughs> to, you know, do that. But I, it's, it's disturbing. I mean, again, it's brutal. It's a brutal death because you can almost hear him crushing her neck with his hand. Of course, Tyler Mayne's yeah. got you know, huge hands, so he wraps him around that little Hollywood actress face. Well, he yeah, he does the head jerk. Doesn't yeah, he, there? pretty much. Jerks her head back and just snaps yeah. the neck. Yeah, just a freaky way to 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 do that. But it is it is very much true to the uh, original, which I thought was well, kind of cool. I would say it's true it, to the original, but at that point is when I realized that this is the part of the movie Rob Zombie is not interested in. He is not interested in retelling well, John Carpenter's Halloween. He wants to get to his visions of this, his part of it, and he feels like he's you kind of got to go paint my numbers and do some of this stuff because it's what's expected. But I, it it's not as... I'm not as into it as I was maybe last time because last time it was much more suspenseful and it was all played for, you know, he came out of nowhere to do it. Now we know he's there the whole time. It's just waiting for it to go down. It's a, it's a different vibe together. Yeah. I don't know. I, I didn't mind it. I thought it was good. And I like the fact that the reason he kills them is because they're in his house. Yeah, having sex in his house. <laughs> I mean, that makes a lot more sense than him going, finding them. Right. He's not stalking them, right? them around the so, same corner. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was a, a good way to do it. And then, of course, uh, uh, Danielle's character, uh, mm-hmm. Annie, she's up next. Yeah, she, <laughs> she gets uh, Lindsay over with Tommy and Lori to hang out and stuff so she can go have sex with her boyfriend. And they're going at it on the couch. And Michael's like standing over them as it goes down. And then yeah. just pulls dude off of her, kills him, and goes to town on her. And I want to tell you, you talk about really, you know, taking one for the team. Danielle Harris gets thrown around that living room and that kitchen, and like when she's scraping the floor with her fingernails on that wood floor, and he's dragging oh. her. She finally gets to the front door, and he's right behind her and just grabs her and throws her back in. I, it, I, I really thought, well, she's going to be dead in like the most brutal way, but he actually, she's alive, which is the scary thing. He leaves. I, I was. I shocked. know he leaves her alive, bleeding on the ground, and hangs the boyfriend up like a pumpkin with a pumpkin on his head, like a decoration or something, and yep. you know, all to wait for Lori to come over and find them. And and it's yeah. like I don't know. It's it's really. Again, it's it's twisted, but it's neat because that's what happens when Lori comes over. I mean, imagine you walk in and there's your best friend on the floor cut up. <laughs> I mean, torn oh, yeah. up and screaming, and she's trying to talk on the phone, and then there he comes out of nowhere. Yeah, I, this this kill or or lack of kill, but this attack. whole attack, yeah, is to me the most disturbing of the film because. You like you said, she is trying to escape. She gets to a phone. The phone's not working, mm-hmm. right? She gets dragged from behind, and she's just like, "No, no," you know, pleading, it's scared out of her mind as she's being slowly dragged out of that room. And that whole thing was just like that freaked me mm-hmm. out because you, you're thinking in your head, she knows she's going to die, and she is terrified mm-hmm. right now. And you're just like, and he's toying with her. He He's toying with her. He could just yeah. kill her, but he's toying with her. And that's just, oh, so 
just well, disturbing. It's sadistic. And, it shows, oh, it shows yeah. you how, how much of a monster he really is. And it's, oh, yeah. And, and I'm with you, man. When, sh- when, uh, when, uh, Lori comes into that house and she's alive on the floor, uh, you know, clutching to the, her last, bur- you know, breaths, basically just clutching her to her life, uh, just completely brutalized. I mean, she is torn up mm-hmm. and then looking up and finding her boyfriend just hanging there. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah, just right. How- Unbelievable. How messed up that looked. And then the the real kicker is that unlike the last movie where Michael chased Laurie and really just got her cornered around all of her friends that were dead to scare her so he could go and stab at her, he like knocks her out and then carries her off. And yeah. well, and, and I think it shows that he's not out to kill Laurie in this movie. Not, Whereas in the first one, he's out to kill her. Yeah, not at, in this one, he's trying to reunite with yeah, her. Yeah, not at that moment. He is not there to kill her. He is trying to relate to her in some way. He has found her. And that's the thing is I wanted to ask you, because they don't really explain it, and I guess they don't have to, but how does he know that's her? How does he figure that out? Well, there's when he when he goes and kills the, the parents, the mm-hmm. foster parents... He grabs a photo mm-hmm. of her from the hall, and then the mom says, "No, no, not my baby." Mm-hmm. I believe that's her words, and I think that's when he knows. I guess, I guess so. I, I just always wondered how he knew that was his sister, but they don't explain it. They could be just one of those, uh, you know, yeah. I, I, like there's one point where she drops something in the mail slot, and he like smells the smells the mail, and I was like, okay, whatever. I mean, I, it's that it doesn't need explaining. I guess maybe he would just know. He would know the resemblance. I don't know, but he. Could be. I'm not sure yeah. exactly. And yeah, I don't think they, they don't. do explain they don't. I mean, it. But that's where he he first sees yeah, what she looks like. But he does reacquire her, which I think is interesting because you know, unlike the last time, what we kept saying is call the cops, right? That's exactly what she and the right. other kids do. They call the cops. The cops come over to the house where they're all holed up, and all of a sudden he breaks out and gets shot a few times, and it's no big deal, and he kills both of them and leaves the two little kids, but then takes Lori off with him. You know, meanwhile, yeah. we have Loomis has made it into town, has hooked up with the sheriff, Chucky himself, Brad Dourif, and <laughs> he gets the exposition of explaining to us how the heck the Myers daughter wound up living in the same town again. He said, he, what an interesting story. Great. Huh? I mean, he said, you know, I walked yeah. in on the suicide. I see this kid, you know, this baby sitting in the middle of this bloody mess. And the last thing I thought was this kid just does not need this. So I it take her, right. I admitted her out of the report. I, you know, take her to the nearest town hospital, and I think it's over. And the next thing I know, my friend in town has adopted the baby. <laughs> so right, how bizarre! Yeah, right? he, and he plays it like, you know, how the heck did that happen? And I thought, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad <laughs> exactly. that he's played it off that way because that was one thing about the yeah. first film that you know it. If you want to nitpick it, it's how does that kid still stay in that town? <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it doesn't well, make sense. For the first film, it made it sound like she was living with family. Right. That the Strodes were her blood well, relatives. It's almost played that way, but what we're told is that they're not, actually. They're not blood relatives of right. the Myers. But, yeah. Yep. So, but, yeah. I like yeah. the story, though. I thought it was, I thought it gave it something. Plus, it's, I like it's the story something too. for him to do while he's driving around with Loomis. Oh yeah, and and to get them acquainted with each other. And I like this cop much better than I like the cop from the first one yeah. because the cop from the first one was just like whatever. Well, he's you kind know? of a blank. Like, I mean, well, Brad Dourif's 
a, a yeah. really good actor, <laughs> and he he does a lot of schlock yeah. just because that's what he, you know, he makes money doing. But he's a really good actor, and he can play. Well, and he he seems interested in what's Agreed. going on. Like he knows the backstory. He was involved in a lot of the backstory, and so he when Loomis comes in, he he seems to know who Loomis is yeah. as well. Read his book, uh, and, and when yeah, Loomis gives comes, him, in, gives him right. I like that yeah. line. <laughs> But, uh, I like, I like that he takes it yes, seriously. Yes. And, you know, I mean, at first he doesn't. He's just like, oh, you're just here to sell books. And, and then, you know, Loomis kind of convinces him that no, that's not why I'm here. I'm here because there's a killer in your town, dumbass. <laughs> and then he's like, oh shit. All right. And he goes with it. And I think that's much better than what the cop did in the first one, in the original. Um, so it was more believable. And yeah, so he's in town and then, all hell's breaking loose in this one street corner, basically. Right, exactly. Like he, he gets the <laughs> you call. Yeah, the, the poor kids running. Yeah, he gets the call. There's yep. a stabbing, and it's his daughter. So of course he's losing his mind. And they're ten minutes exactly, away. Which I, I thought, wow, that blew this is a mind. much bigger town than I thought it was. So, mm-hmm. so yes, I blew my mind that they were ten minutes away. But what I like about that is that the calls at his house, yes. the the cop, mm-hmm. right? It's his house, and it's Lori who called, and they both look at each other like, oh crap. Yeah. <laughs> You know, at that point, he was skeptical still, but believing enough to start looking. Now, with Lori making the 911 call from his house, shit just got exactly. real. Just got seriously real. <laughs> right? and Loomis even tells him, he's like, don't you know what this means? You know, we got to do something. He's yeah, found he's her. Yeah. And so they're racing back to town. Meanwhile, Michael's got Lori, and he takes her where he's got Linda's body stashed. Along with yeah, you know, his sister's headstone. <laughs> they replay that bit. He, like, gets down on his knees takes off his mask and like hands her that picture, you know, and she yeah. doesn't figure it out. She's, you know, of course, why would well, you? Well, how, yeah. How she didn't yeah. know any of this. She's lose. She's probably doesn't even know that she had. Exactly. Exam, she's losing. Yeah, and what she's happened? Losing her mind. And then I love how she dupes him in this. Like she grabs that knife and just stabs him. She stabs him in the knife. She runs away. And of course he, at that point, he is now no longer trying to relate well, uh, yeah, and I think the problem is, is for him, he realizes that she doesn't recognize him or know who right. he is, which makes sense. She was a baby, but that, that relationship, that's the last bit of relationship that he has with his family. And he, he really had a lot of love for his little baby sister, but she doesn't reciprocate. And so that's the last bit of humanity thrown away. Yeah. Out of and, and, and now gone. he is going after her like he would any other target. I mean, he's, all over yep. her and i love the chase you know that she's yeah oh, he's yeah. going after her and i love this they found this old abandoned pool what a great scene where you know he's chasing her down into that and loomis shows up and guns him down and he just falls over yeah and it, the probably the best scare if there is a good scare in this movie comes after that he's now got Lori back in his car and they do that whole replay of like is that the boogeyman oh yeah and he was like yeah it was and then I- I do believe and, it was. And I want to tell you, the thing is, is they didn't tell um, Malcolm McDowell that that was going to happen there. They they had told him uh, he's oh, going to wow. get her, you know, after you drive away. So he's sitting in the car, just sort of waiting on the, you know, somebody to yell cut, and then Tyler Maine just smashes through that sugar glass with that hand. So his reaction there <laughs> is actually him going, "What the hell." And I I remember in the uh, in the trailer seeing that going, oh, my goodness. And then, you know, seeing it again in the uh, 
in the in the end, it was just it was fantastic. So I uh, I thought that was great mm-hmm. where he grabs her and he's trying to calm Michael down. All the while, you hear these sirens blaring up and down the street. You don't know how far away they are. And I love how when they finally get in the house, he turns around to Loomis. And you know the thing is, is Loomis has been he his book is called The Devil's Eyes. You know they take that line about yeah. Michael as he's the devil's eyes and. I love how Loomis, uh, Michael grabs him and seemingly crushes his face by throwing his thumbs through his eyes. That was gory, oh, yeah. man. But I, let me ask Brutal. you now, did you think Loomis was dead? Because I thought he was dead. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I thought, I thought he, was, he was too. I thought that that was, and I thought that was a great choice. And it was when I realized when I was watching this in the theater in 2007, Rob Zombie is intent on doing this in one film, and he's going to do everything he can to leave them nothing else to go from. So what I kept wondering was, when, who's going to drop the bomb in here that incinerates the town? Because somehow yeah. there's going to be a real definitive end to this. I just could see it coming. And you thought there was, yeah. right? At the end, we'll yeah. get to it. But I, I, when it was done, I, well, I, I definitely was, want to talk about, well, how do you I recover? definitely want to talk about when we get there, but let's talk about this chase through the house. The one thing I will say is that this for me goes on a couple minutes too long. Like she's hiding in crawl spaces and in walls and you basically get to see Tyler Main tear through a lot of balsa wood. Well, I, I thought it was a callback to the original where they were hiding in the closet and he's breaking into the closet to get to her, right? right. I thought that was kind of what she was working on there. But I, I didn't mind it so much. I, I liked watching it because you saw that he used his senses to try and find where she yep. is. And his senses don't fail most of the time. And, and he does hear noise and turns around and go back. And for her, lucky. But what I was going at was that he she was sitting there trying to position herself with the, with, right. for the gun. If he could hear her breath or breathing and gasping well enough how does he not hear her crouching down to go exactly that's what i wanted to know i was like that's why it plays so funky because it's it's like sometimes he can catch her and sometimes he can't of course now at this point we should remind ourselves he has been stabbed and shot a few times so 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 true he may not be functioning (laughs) on the highest levels (laughs) at that point yeah so I, I do like the chase, though, and I like how, how brutal it gets. And when he basically tears her out of the ceiling, she's crawling up above him. That's oh, a great scene. That was a, that was freaky, you know, because she has nowhere else to go. And he's just shoving the wood up into the ceiling and crushing the ceiling, trying to get her to fall down. I like that scene. And I like when she finally runs out. And then you find out that Loomis, in fact, is not dead as he basically tries to trip Michael's on the Michael on the mm-hmm. way out. Exactly. They, they're, they're still going at it. And finally, she gets the pistol, looks up, and is about to shoot him. And he just, you know, totally charges her. And instead of him falling off oh. the balcony, he takes them both off the balcony. And they thud on the ground. And I yeah, thought brutal. that, I mean, I really, at first I thought, is that how he's going to end it? Because that's brilliant. You know, and what happens next, though, is incredibly disturbing and yet satisfying in terms of a film experience. She wakes Mm. up on top of him, you know, because apparently he's broken the fall, gets the gun and starts clicking it and it doesn't fire. So she's got to reposition herself Mm -hmm. and she clicks it again and it doesn't fire. And you hear these sirens getting closer and closer. And then he grabs her wrist just as she pulls the trigger again and presumably blows his face off. I mean, the blood right. splatters all up her face. And, I, you know, the great scene is she's screaming as it dissolves into a picture of or a, a super eight of the, the baby when he was holding it as a kid crying. 
and it sort of intermingles yeah. with baby's cries versus her cries. And I thought, what a what a disturbing yet very satisfying end to a really weird, brutal film. Yeah, I thought it was a, a great end, and I'm thinking to myself too. Well, she's just shot his face, <laughs> and she, I mean, she was brutally damaged when when this all went down. I mean, she had blood all over her face yep. too, uh, cut up and everything from falling and everything else. And then to when she shot him, the blood that came from everywhere, basically all over her. And I thought, okay, how the hell are they going to get a second one out of <laughs> well, this? Well, I'll tell. That that's my question, and I think that it's exciting because I don't see how you survive a shot. In I the will face. tell you now. I when I walked out of the theater with this, and I rarely do this with films. I was like, I actually stood, and several people in the crowd, you know, along with me, we were all clapping, going, "That is, you know, yeah. if you're going to do it, do it all in one shot and be done with it. Don't set up a new franchise, and nobody wants any of that. We got that. If I want to go see that, I can go watch Halloween Four. You know, I don't want to see that right. again." And I don't think Zombie wanted that either. I think what he wanted to do was his thing, and in two hours, he delivered it. And I thought that was a fantastic end, because what you've done is you've just completed the circle, is that she is now just as screwed up as he is, you know, because of everything that has happened. And it's a, I don't know, it's a really, really great way to end the film. And then that great theme music, again, redone very well by Tyler Bates, I might add, who did really good with the music here. Great musician. Uh, Just a, a... Oh, again, though, it's a slog to get through this film. So, Brian, final thoughts, recommendations, popcorn ratings for Rob Zombie's Halloween. I got to tell you, Jay, I didn't find it to be a slog to get through this film at all. I thought the pace was done really well. I thought the two breaks of the of the movie were done perfectly. And I just really enjoyed this film from start to finish a lot. I thought it was great. It was very gory which I'm not usually a big fan of gore so much, but I think that the way it was portrayed in here was almost necessary to show how brutal this child and eventually mass murderer adult are. And so to me, it it wasn't too much gore. It was realistic gore. And so I thought that was a difference maker for me and much of the other gory films that are out there, the saws and everything else. This to me was realistic gore. And so I liked that stylized thing that Rob Zombie did because that's kind of his forte is to be kind of grotesque. And, um, but as, as an overall film, I thought this was fantastic. I love the backstory. I had a great time watching that. Um, it was a very disturbing film and, but, is supposed to be. You're you're telling the story of a serial killer. There should be moments that make you go and oh and freak you out. And this delivered on all of that. So for me, I'm going with an extra large popcorn on this. I thoroughly enjoyed it. When I say this movie is a slog to get through, it's not because the pacing is off or I get bored or anything. It's just hard to consume it. And I think it's supposed to be. I don't think Zombie wants you to be entertained as, <clears throat> wants you to be as entertained as much as he wants to really sicken you and to show you how messed up someone can be and would have to be to do the things that we want that character to do and what it really would look like. And that's a hard thing to swallow. It's a hard pill to get down, but it's one I'm glad I got down and it's one I'm glad exists. I think this film is brilliant 
in the way that it's put together. I think the backstory is great. I think the actor, the guy they got to, the kid they got to play, young Michael Myers, between him and Malcolm McDowell, it's a it's a race to see who had the best performance. Great performances. I thought the side characters also very good. I love Daniel Harris in this. Um, I really like Scout Taylor Compton as, as the more spunky Laurie and stuff. Just a well put together film. And I'll say this too for people that don't like horror films, it's always interesting to me to like introduce this film to people like you that don't watch this kind of stuff and that hadn't seen it. I'm always reluctant to say, well, you know, this one's a really different thing. This isn't like Jason or, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street or, you know, or, or good goodness, it's not Leprechaun in Space either. So, well, you know, it's a different experience. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, in, in more ways than one. But, uh, <laughs> But it is a different experience. But if you'll allow yourself to go with it as just a, a piece of art and and go with it as as a movie, there's a lot to be told here and a lot to to enjoy. And even though it's a hard film to watch and a hard one to really let yourself go with, I think it's a rewarding experience if you like the the subject matter. If you like the idea of how does someone get that deranged? What would that mind look like? The mind of a psychopath. Well, this is one take of it. And I think Zombie hit it out of the park. And when it was over, I thought, please don't you know, don't do another one. Don't at least don't do another one in this timeline. Go back and pick up at the end of Resurrection or if, whatever you want to. But Rob Zombie said famously at the end of this, I'm done. This was it. It's my one shot, and it's pretty clear that I'm done at the end of this. And, you know, I agreed with that. And then the studio <laughs> said, well, we're doing this with or without you. And Rob decided, well, if you're going to do it, then I guess I'll get involved. And we'll talk about Halloween 2, H2, if you will, next time around. I'm really interested to get into that one because – I I can tell you now. Anytime we review these films, I've usually watched them more than once uh, before, even before the review, and I kind of have an idea of how I'm going to rate it at the end. And and I'm with you. This one's extra large popcorn as well. This is a fantastic film. I have absolutely no idea how I'm going to be able to rate or even explain the experience of watching Halloween too, because it is a completely different experience than anything we've seen before. But much like this one was, I'm hopeful that it, you know, I can find things in it. I vacillate on it. It's one that I go back and forth on, but we'll get into that more next time around folks. You can find more episodes of this podcast film strip and our other podcast ventures all on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. We've got the art of slang. There are seven seasons of Buffy, the vampire slayer. We've got a link to the Fabish Factor film podcast there. Some really interesting stuff Kurt's been putting out. And then in the film strip side, I mean, gosh, we've got all kinds of stuff. You've heard us mention Leprechaun. We reviewed all of those. Go back and enjoy them. <laughs> uh, we've got those. We've got the Hellraiser series. We've got stuff like, you know, Ghostbusters. And uh, we've got romantic comedies. We've just finished Star Wars this summer. So if you want that, we got that for you. we got Alien, all kinds of stuff there, content for you to enjoy. You can also hook up with us. On our social media, Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes, drop us a line, let us know what you think. I know this one divides the Halloween fans and horror fans in general. There's a group of people like us that really like it, and then there's a group of people that really hate it. I mean, it's, it seems to be one or the other when it comes to Rob Zombie films. And oddly enough, I think that's how he would like it. So <laughs> either love it or hate it. So <laughs> let us know what you think, folks. We always appreciate interacting with you, and thank you for your support. Until next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. 
Thank you for listening to our Halloween retrospective series. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes, like our Facebook page, and visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies, for more episodes. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of its respective owners and is used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504, C2, Title 17.